0: Wake up wake up wake up, wake up from Jerusalem, Israel. This is from the Midwest to the Middle East, the podcast that explores everything new in US and Israeli economy. Here's your host, Philip Stein.
1: I'm really pleased to be having this podcast today. First of all, this
0: episode is brought one to, one to you by Philip here. Stein and Associates, the largest US CPA firm in Israel, providing US tax services to Israelis, Americans, corporations,
1: startups, and anyone else needing them. Hi, I'm very excited today to have a special guest, a guest actually uh, sitting at the moment in his uh, home state of Minnesota. Uh, We're going to be speaking with Michael Davis. Michael Davis has more than 25 years of experience practicing immigration law. He is widely recognized as one of Minnesota's top immigration lawyers and speaks fluent Spanish and Hebrew. Michael handles individual, family, and employment slash investment-based cases with particular focus representing clients in complex visa matters at US consulates worldwide. He also manages his firm's Tel Aviv office where he represents many of Israel's leading musicians and other artists in connection with their US work visa needs. He is an active member of the American Immigration Lawyers Association having served as the Minnesota slash Dakotas chapters chair and chair of the DHS International Operations Liaison Committee. He has served as a chair of the Minnesota Bar Association's Immigration Law Section and writes and speaks nationally on a variety of immigration topics. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, Philip. I think the the whole, you know, how people move around the the global mobility it's 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 a topic that really affects a lot of people, uh, particularly in Israel. In fact, I recently heard that. Uh, 80,000 people now come in and out of uh, Ben Gurion Airport every day. That's 40 in, 40 out. So uh, Israelis are certainly uh, on the move, and uh, very often if if their destination is the U.S., uh, they do need a visa. So let me start with my first question. Michael, today everyone knows the term global village. Israelis can be found in almost every country, and they generally feel they have a right to go anywhere they please. However, when it comes to the U.S., an Israeli can't just pack his suitcase or backpack and jump on a plane to New York. How difficult it is it these days for an Israeli to get a visa to the u s
0: Philip, I would say that if we're talking about the uh, the business traveler or the uh, traveler for for pleasure um, not too much has changed over years past. Um, I, I think the US consulates in Israel, so the embassy in Tel Aviv and the consulate in Jerusalem, are quite fair on their adjudication standards. Um, on one hand, you have, uh, you know, the, some Israelis have abused the system in the past that makes it a little bit difficult. Um, on one hand, a lot of Israel, younger Israelis like to travel after they finish their own military service and do, you know, the big trip abroad, which includes the United States. Uh, some of those people have uh, some difficulty getting visas at times because they haven't been able to really show they've got an established life back in Israel to return to. But um, on the other hand, um, as you know, uh, Israel is being strongly considered for inclusion in the visa waiver program, Right. Right. which if that comes to pass, it will make it easier for Israelis to travel in and out, especially for those that are just coming for short visits, whether that be for business or for
1: pleasure. Gotcha. okay again leading into the visa waiver I've, I've actually uh, spoke to some of the officers in the embassy in, in, in Washington and we recently heard that the minister of justice Ayala Chaked stated that there's a good chance that Israel will soon be part of the US waiver program uh, do you think that this will change the US policy regarding granting work visas to Israelis and maybe even before that could you explain to our listeners what the visa waiver program means? Okay, good questions. Okay,
0: so the visa waiver program, uh, which has been around now for quite a number of years, it's a program uh, that started off mainly with Western Europe, um, included some other countries today, including also uh, Australia, New Zealand, South Korea, uh, basically countries that you would say are quote-unquote part of the developed world and which have a very high statistical rate of compliance with the terms of their U.S. visas. And as the Israeli rate of compliance has improved in recent years, um, Israel is being considered for inclusion in the program. Now, this program, um, you you basically register, uh, most people today call it ESTA, which refers to the electronic um, application system. You basically register electronically uh... it's a it's a fairly short application process it's done online and once authorized then you're allowed to the the traveler uh, can participate in the program Now, the visa waiver program is not repeat is not a work visa it it simply means that the traveler may come to the united states without a u.s. visa for up to ninety days at a time uh... the person has to have with him or with her a round-trip ticket but still has to establish eligibility uh, for admission to the United States, meaning that the purpose of their visit is a proper purpose as either a B1 business visitor or a B2 visitor for pleasure. So it has a lot of advantages over a traditional visa, including uh, not having to go to the embassy, not having to bring that long uh, list of documents showing your job and your purpose of your visit and all that. Um, but the program does also have some disadvantages. So, for example, if a person enters Uh, with uh, an ESTA uh, uh, 90-day admission, that time period may not be extended beyond the 90 days. Mm -hmm. And also, um, a person may not, after entry, change their status to a different non-immigrant visa category without leaving and applying for a new visa at the embassy back home. Mm -hmm. Also, um, Also, I should add that it's great for those people who really are coming in to do what they say they're coming to do but at the same time it's a very unforgiving program for those that you know don't comply and violate the terms of their of their status and um if a person overstays even by one day or two days even for good faith reasons it can make it very difficult in the future to enter the united states again uh... with the uh, under the esther program and it can also make it much more difficult for that person then to go back to the embassy and obtain an actual visa because it is sort of a strict compliance type program. Also, I should add the person, and I should also add that while most people have, um, pe- people often outside the United States, even here in the country, don't realize how many legal rights um, uh, immigrants, in- including people here on temporary visas, actually have. That means access to our court system, access to really a lot of due process to determine their right to remain or enter the United States. Um, when you 're on the visa waiver program, you essentially sign away all of your legal rights, and the only exception to that is people who um, want to apply for political asylum can do so, but um, everybody else has no right to a hearing to determine their right to enter or remain in the united states wow. so the program it 's a great program, but it does have some limitations that people should be aware of
1: so for the tourists for the shoppers for the uh... People uh, visiting for a family celebration, uh, their their lives will be much easier, and maybe we won't see as such long lines on Cone Street. Uh, probably relieves the U.S. embassy sta- or consulate staff as well. Correct? Correct.
0: And I think it's especially great for again that young traveler who's just finished uh, army service and wants to come on that trip and is worried about getting the visa. That it makes life a lot easier for that
1: that group especially. But they need to be aware, from what I'm hearing from you, is that they they should not spend uh, one day over uh, and feel so comfortable in the U.S. because they may have trouble coming back in when they really need to come for another purpose.
0: Right. So again, I'm hoping that I'm not stepping on questions that you plan to ask later in the discussion, but you had asked me earlier, for example, uh, you know how, e- how hard or how easy to, is it for an Israeli to get a visa these right. days? Right. While well, 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 I think that the uh, U.S. consulates in Israel are very fair on their overall adjudication standards, they are very, very, very harsh on people who have found or even are believed to have violated their status in the past. Okay, it's a, it's a some places are a little more forgiving, and I, I think it is much more of a zero tolerance policy, especially in Tel Aviv. So people should be aware that again, it's a great thing if you're going to comply. Not such a great thing if you're not. And under the current administration, um, immigration enforcement at the airports, in the interior, and even at the embassies has increased tremendously.
1: Yeah, I, I could see where, you know, basically I think you've answered my question, that they're, they have a pretty fair policy about grant, granting work visas, but if someone under this program, this s if it comes through, um, and they violated in any way, shape, or form. They they will have trouble getting a work visa, even though they may have violated when they were, you know, young and carefree.
0: Exactly right. And remember that the ESTA program really has no impact on uh, work visas. The work visa still um, the person still has to obtain work visas through the traditional methods to be able to come here
1: to work. All right, so before the the visa waiver goes into effect, um my next question is m- we know many Israelis go to the US as tourists and, and then want to stay on for an extended period. Uh they g- maybe get uh, offers to to uh volunteer or work in camps or or things like that. Is there any procedure whereby Israelis can apply for a, a work visa while in the US as a tourist?
0: Yes, so um, if in most cases the work visa would require a job offer here in the states and there are you know different the, the whole what we call the alphabet soup of visas starting with letter A through almost into the alphabet and we, we like to say we hope that there's an appropriate work visa for almost everybody not not in every case but in many cases and yes in most cases those visas uh, can be applied for here through a change of status um, generally speaking, um, if somebody enters on let's say on Monday with a tourist visa, and then all of a sudden, within a very short time wants to change their status, that can be problematic because the government you know can sometimes claim that the person entered with the intent to do something contrary to what they said they were coming to do.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, but in most cases, if you wait a couple months after entry, yes, that can be changed from here in the United States.
1: Okay, let me go move from the tourists to, to people who really are coming to to reside in the US for extended period. Um, and that's ar- around the, I guess you'd call it a form of a visa, the green card. How difficult is it for an Israeli to get a green card these days?
0: Okay, so let's first of all uh, make make sure we're defining terms. Okay. So you know the green card is means the same as a permanent resident. Um, sometimes called an immigrant or immigrant visa, and it's distinguished from a person who is a non immigrant, non immigrant meaning somebody who's here on some type of temporary visa. Mm-hmm. And that could be a student visa, that could be an exchange visitor visa, H uh, 1B professional work visa, um, some of the different corporate visas. Um, in most, not all, but in most cases, the person would first um, change their status, let's say, or enter directly on some type of temporary work visa and then from there they would upgrade to a green card so it you know it really depends on what the person does and it depends on what you know what different category um, many of if we're talking about work most of the employment based green cards do require a job offer if the person is not at a very very high level they need what is called a labor certification, or PERM, B-E-R-M, which means that the employer has to do a test of the U.S. labor market and show that there are no able, willing, and qualified American workers who have the minimum requirements for doing the job. And you know, people should be aware that um, the government right now, the administration is focusing very heavily on IT workers, and those cases have become a little bit more difficult lately. Um other occupations maybe a, a bit less so. Um uh, but it, you know it really just depends on what the person um does for a living, whether they have a job offer, and then there's other op there there's other uh, other things that we can discuss like the L1 intra company transferee visa. There's a visa called an E two treaty investor visa, which is not yet available to Israelis, but that hopefully will come into effect soon. Um so it just depends on the person's circumstances. And that's why they need to talk to uh, a qualified immigration lawyer to look at all the different uh, temporary and permanent visa options.
1: Actually, uh, many years ago, I'm just just remembered this. That one of my daughters uh, had a you know college student college job, and she worked for a firm here in Israel that was helping people fill out their form, a form for the green card lottery.
0: The green card lottery, what we call the DV or the Diversity Visa Lottery Program is still around um, it, it it's been around in different in different formats now for quite a number of years although it's under very serious attack right now uh, one of the recent terrorist attacks here in the United mm. States uh was yeah. perpetrated by somebody who had immigrated through that program so it's given again the, the administration's had an excuse to target that program but but I should also say it's been a, a somewhat uh unpopular target for a number of years now I wouldn't be surprised to see it eliminated, especially if there's going to be some give and take over other visa programs um, that are that are kind of being tossed around politically right now in Washington. Okay, and then that you know the the, you may have heard about the DACA program, that the Dream Act program for the young uh, people who were brought here from Mexico and other countries illegally at a young age. Um, There's a lot of sympathy to reach some kind of accommodation for them. But we know that if if that does happen, there will be a price, and it could be that the DV lottery program may be the one that will be sacrificed in exchange.
1: Interesting. I I do recall her telling us that uh, two countries that were not eligible for the the as you call it, the DV or the as I call it the green card lottery were China and India. Is that still the case today?
0: That that is the case, and and the DV basically, folk, it's a it's a statistical evaluation on the countries that contribute the most immigrants annually. And if you're over a certain percentage, you don't qualify. Uh, by the way, if there are any listeners that are from India or from China, um, you know, on one hand, you were asking me about Israelis. Uh, Israelis are generally speaking in the worldwide uh, preference categories, Right. meaning they're not overly backlogged compared to India and China. Uh, the strategies that we look at for Indian and Chinese plants are very different from other countries because the uh, quota backlogs are just so terribly long. It can be decades for somebody to wow. qualify for a green card through, through employment uh, from those countries. There, there, there are so many thousands of, uh, especially in the employment categories, from those two countries that uh, even if the person has received a labor certification confirming that there's not uh, a U.S. worker qualified to do that person's job here. It still can be many, many, many years for a green card visa number to become available. So the way we look at those cases is very different from the way we look at Israelis or Canadians or most other uh, people from other countries. Mm-hmm.
1: All right, let me, let's go to the other end uh, of the green card story, which is that something I see in my practice. When, when people who get green cards decide to return to Israel... I've seen many Israelis return to Israel to live and prefer not to abandon their green cards when they depart my first part of the question is this a problem and the second part is there any way for them to have their cake and eat it too i.e. keep the green card and not live in the US
0: okay so in in that category of persons I think we, we see two different groups group one is the person who came to the states with the intent to live here on an extended basis did so, and at some point realized that um you know life in Israel is uh more enjoyable, they've got family, whatever, and they, they decide they want to move back and The other category is the person who wants the green card for reasons of either prestige or for potential safety. Oh, God forbid something uh, happens, and I need to leave uh and, and not just Israel, we see it from other countries, especially in the Middle East as well, where people think they may have to leave on short notice and they want to have that ticket. To the states without having to run to the embassy for a visa. Mm-hmm. Now, a, a permanent resident, by definition, is supposed to be domiciled in the United States, and I, I suspect that the definition of domicile under the immigration laws is probably similar to the definition under the tax laws. Um, but, but you can clarify that, please. Uh, it, it really, it's it's the that one place the person considers to be their true and primary place of residence, uh, or, or, or habitual abode. Mm-hmm. Now, um, so a, a permanent resident is supposed to be domiciled in the United States, and if they're out of the country for either uh, at least one year without returning, or even if they're uh, coming back, let's say, once a year because they believe that's what's required to preserve their residence, if the immigration officer at the airport believes that they're using that green card as just, let's say, a fancy tourist visa, they run the risk of having the green card taken away from them. Yes. For, for those people who really, really want to preserve their Which, Michael, card, let, let me
1: just interrupt you, because there's a lot of you know myth fact, urban myth. A green card can be taken away, you're telling me. A green card can,
0: and every day they are taken away uh, much more often than people think. Ah. Um, and that typically comes up at the airport, where the immigration inspector says, "Okay, I don't think you're really a permanent resident. I think you're living abroad. I'm going to give you a couple choices." Often, this is done under, uh, you know, somewhat of a threat and duress. And remember, the traveler coming off that airplane, uh, not at their best. They're 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 tired. They uh, they're out, They're facing this person in uniform who, uh, you know, has a gun and you know maybe asking the questions in a threatening way. Um, and often they're told, okay, uh, you know, if you surrender your green card, I'll let you in this time uh, as a tourist, but you're going to have to then go back and get a, you know, a new tourist visa the next time you want to come back to the States, which may not be so easy, by the way. Um, now, um, that person does have the right to a trial in front of an immigration judge where the government would have the burden of proof to show abandonment, but it's a long process. It can be costly uh they do go they do go through uh or basically is a trial and many people don't you know for obvious reasons don't want to do that so there um there, there 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 is a solution here and and the easy solution is something called a reentry permit so a reentry permit is a little blue or green passport that is essentially the person's predeclared intention to be outside the United States for an extended time, up to two years at a time, but telling the US government it is my intention throughout this time um, to preserve my permanent resident status, and that usually will completely solve the issue, but there are limitations. So, for example, the reentry permit is initially valid for two years at a time, and it can be extended pretty much indefinitely. But after a while, the government will shorten the validity time of the document to only one year at a time. And they do that. Why? Because they want the person essentially at some point to decide either I'm going to keep my green card or I'm going to abandon it. To file for the reentry permit, the traveler the applicant must be physically present in the United States at the time of filing, although the person can then leave... After it's been filed, they usually take about six months to be issued. Mm-hmm. And they also have to do uh, biometrics, which is a fancy way of saying uh, fingerprinting and eye scan. And it usually takes about one month after the filing of the application to be scheduled for biometrics. So, you know, a lot of people who are just trying to come in once a year to uh, preserve the green card don't always want to wait around uh, one month. But that's the uh, let's say that's the price of doing it. The application fees are somewhere between six and seven hundred dollars now. Many Israelis, for different reasons, don't do the reentry permit, even though that would solve the issue if they had it. One of the most important questions on the reentry permit application is whether the person has ever uh, since receiving permanent resident status ever claimed um to be a non-resident for u s. tax purposes. Or failed to file a tax return because they consider themselves to be a non resident. And that, if the person um, checks that they have done that, that may be the kiss of death toward keeping that green card. Um, in many of the cases that come up where there's a dispute at the airport, whether the person should be let back in or the cases that go to court in front of an immigration judge, usually the very first question they ask is, okay, let's see the person's tax returns. How have they been filing? So again, it's it's very important that that, that uh, green card holder, even if they've been living abroad and not working in the States, that if they are required to file a U.S. tax return, they file that return and that they file it as a U.S. resident, not as a non-resident, even, even if there might be adverse... Tax consequences, and that's where you come in (laughs) so you can run the numbers and see whether it's worth keeping the green card or not.
1: Correct. Right. All right, that was really a very comprehensive answer and I think a lot of people who are listening will, will find it very interesting. All right, we're getting we're getting close to the end, so let me let me jump to two last questions. One is probably you could probably talk the whole podcast on this one. How is the Trump administration having an effect on your practice?
0: Okay, so I've been practicing exactly thirty years now, without question. I, I have never worked harder than I have in this past year. Uh, it's both good and bad I mean from a business perspective it's great I guess on the other hand um, you know we we're having to work twice as hard on cases like what should be very standard work visa cases that you know should have been approved very easily uh, the administration's making us really work hard uh, there's been a really intense focus against uh, foreign IT workers um, I represent a lot of artists. Luckily, the artist cases, which are still pretty unique, one-of-a-kind, are, are still quite good. But let's just say there's a lot of fear, uh, not just in the undocumented community, but in the corporate community. Why? Because so many American companies are dependent upon foreign labor, professional and otherwise, to run their businesses, and uh, the government's making it up on us now.
1: Not surprising. Uh, last question. If I have a listener, anywhere they are out there in the world, uh, who's thinking of coming to the U.S. to work or study, uh, what are some tips you can share with him or Okay,
0: or? so the most basic tip, hopefully uh, this message has gotten through uh, over the last uh, several minutes, is compliance, compliance, compliance. Um, if you're coming here and you, you do what you say you're coming to do, uh, your life should be reasonably easy here. Um, if you're not, you... Can expect uh, potential problems, I also like to say preparation um, if you 're going to be going for a visa interview, make sure that you 're prepared with your documents, even though sometimes a denial can be overturned uh, don 't take that for granted don 't take anything for granted at the embassy and to speak with an immigration lawyer, uh, look at different websites that you know discuss application procedures and um, and if you do those two things, it will greatly increase the chances of a happy uh, traveling experience of this country.
1: Just in summary, if one of my listeners wants to reach out to you, how how can they find out more about you or speak to you? Uh, It'd
0: be my pleasure to speak with them either directly or uh, online. Um, You can Google our firm website, uh, Davis and Goldfarb, and it's got our contact information. I'd be more than happy to uh, speak. I I do uh, travel to Israel on business about four times a year and i'd be happy to meet with any israeli listeners in israel during one of my visits uh, if, if desired otherwise you know we d- routinely do it by email by telephone or by skype
1: thank you for sharing your knowledge and uh we wish you a wonderful day we're we're ending ours you're starting yours and uh hope to talk to you soon and, and see you on your next visit when you're here in israel michael thank you
0: all right thank you so much I hope you enjoyed our podcast. Feel free to visit us at www.pstein.com or look for Philip Stein and Associates on Facebook and LinkedIn.